Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, first challenge for Alexa. Alexa... Play Yes. Playing songs by Yes from Spotify. Alexa, stop. You know what that is, don't you? I do, yeah. It's not Roundabout, which I thought was what they were going to go for. But there we are. It's owner of a lonely heart, isn't it? It is. Which must have been their biggest hit record, I suppose, if you look at the whole of their career. Your choice. Go on, let's do one. Slade. Alexa, play Slade. No, Alexa can't hear you. She can only can't hear me. She right. Okay. She only answers to her master's voice. Okay. Right. Alexa, play Slade. Playing songs by Slade from Spotify. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Come on, feel the noise. Alexa, stop. Starts with a distinctive um, call in the room to order sound of... Uh... All right, shut up, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, give it a rest for crying out loud. It's been a long day. And as Alexa, we may have mentioned before, you and I once went to a lunch where Lod- Noddy Holder was presiding. Do you remember? It was a Christmas and, uh, lunch, more to the point. It was a Christmas lunch, yeah. And he was the person who called everyone to order and got them to go to the table and told them that the red cabbage was on its way or whatever. But he wouldn't do the he wouldn't do Merry Christmas, would he? Without, he wouldn't. Without a contribution to his... No, I think there's to be considerable shiny florins point. tossed in his, I think, in his hat. I, 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 think, I think that there certainly are. I'm gonna, let me try another one. Alexa, if I asked... If I asked that woman, whose name I won't mention because she'll spark into life, to play a song by Ray Charles, what do you think she'd play, Mark? Um, Hit the Road, Jack, would it be? Okay, let's let's have a go. Alexa, play Ray Charles. Playing songs by Ray Charles from Spotify. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. Alexa, stop. That's pretty You're good. You're absolutely isn't it? correct. That yeah, was very good. Very... Okay, one more. We... The small We're, faces. We... Do you... Oh, okay. All right. Alexa, oh, go on. I'm sorry. I... What What were you going to say? say... Oh, Shut up, Alexa. We'll call you when we're ready. <laughs> Leave it, Alexa, all right? <laughs> Leave. Walk away. <laughs> Knock it on the head. <laughs> Leave it, darling. Sling, it. Sling your rope. He's not worth it. Sling your rope. Button it. <laughs> what were you going to say that she was going to play? Small faces, lazy Sunday, I would have thought. That's the old okay. tin soldier. That's the that's the all or nothing. Ale- Sorry, I can only have one, can I? Yeah, you can really. Alexa, play Slade. Not Slade. No, sorry, I already asked you to play that. Alexa, ignore me. <laughs> Alexa, I don't, shut Alexa, up, Alexa. I'm, I'm an old duffer. Don't I'm answer. an old duffer. <laughs> <laughs> Not fully in control of all my faculties. So have pity on me. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, play Small Faces. Alexa, stop. Very good. Very good work. I'm just going to try. I'm going to try a real curved ball to see if she recognises anything. Okay, Alexa, play Hap Sash and the Coloured Coat. I can't find the song. <coughs> good thank you alexa stop because i didn't really want to hear hap session the colored coat either but i simply thought i'd try it so talking, um, of, talking of small faces we recorded um the great jim irvin which we and at times isn't it the jim irvin is that up the jim make it sounds like, make it sounds as if jim's an actual member of the small faces he's not yeah is he? that's true he's not but it's already it's one of our award-winning Word in Your Attic video casts. And if you haven't already seen those, please go on YouTube and look up Word in Your Ear, the Word in Your Ear kind of channel on YouTube. And we've got a series, haven't we, Mark, of these Word we in have. Your Attic? We have. Building a all video cast. And we did and one Jim with Jim Irvin. Irvin. He talks about, it talks about the fantastic P.P. Arnold Small Faces YouTube clip, which I thoroughly recommend to anybody who hasn't seen it, of them doing Tin Soldier. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Who else have we done? We've done Sid Griffin. If you haven't, if you haven't caught up with that, Sid uh, playing Eight Miles High on the banjo is a particular musical highlight. Will McDonald, very funny. Will McDonald, very, very. We good. we've done one this morning, uh, which isn't out yet, with the great Mark Lewison, um, the world riveting. authority on the Beatles. It tells us about his uh, yeah, what it's like living with the, <laughs> living with the Beatles in the way. In the way that he's doing. So, listen, I want to talk to you about this um, this one world. Um, oh yeah, did you did you see it? You didn't, did you? Did you I see did. I've seen bits of it. You see, because I well, go on. You, you well, the thing is, now you don't have to watch it live. Of course, that's the whole thing. There's absolutely no no reason to see it as a live event, really, because a it's not a live event, and b these days it doesn't matter. It's easier just to let something sort of go by and then just catch up the next day with what someone's decided the highlights are. But I did see. Uh, quite a lot of it as it went out, actually. And 
I don't know what to say because obviously Go on. I don't want to be uncharitable. I don't want to be uncharitable because it's fantastic that somebody organised. Like Lady Gaga, whom I'm a great admirer, was was one of the was the driving force, I think. And it's great that all these people, you know, stepped up to the mark and played songs. Of course, there's no excuse now because uh, normally, if, if you don't want to do something, you can say, "Well, I'm on tour. I'm in the studio. I'm yeah, doing something. I'm, no I'm in a different country." Everybody's sitting at home. Uh, everybody's underemployed, and everybody's available down the end of a of a pipe. But uh, and it was great to see you know Elton John was out there playing. I'm still standing on his piano in the garden, and you know, and Paul McCartney did a, a, a admittedly rather weird version of Lady Madonna from what appeared to be the uh, studio in his place in Sussex, I think. And um, you know, there was Billie Eilish, who I like very much, doing a old uh, Bobby Hebb song, Sunny. That was great. Taylor Swift was good, with Stevie Wonder. But your problem is, I think, that. Three things, actually. One is that it's all online. <laughs> three things, good. Three okay, things. Now, three things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three one, things. One. Thing, one, thing it's number all one. online. <laughs> it's all online, and therefore you have that exhausting, kind of rather sapping experience like you do when you do too many Zoom conversations in one day, where it's completely artificial and kind of two-dimensional and, and very kind of sapping and, and contained, and it's just one after another people in their living rooms. And secondly, they can't... And also the sound is absolutely frightful. I don't know about you, but I, when I have actual human conversations now with neighbours walking down the street, I kind of expect them to freeze and their voices to go a bit weird. You get so <laughs> go, used to that. Go, you know. go, go metallic <laughs> halfway through. Suddenly go metallic. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be at all surprised if they did, you know. And, uh, but the second thing is, is that I don't know, honestly, if I need to be told... By particularly by um, you know Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam playing a church organ, <laughs> that I should be you know rooting for my for my local NHS and medical uh, care personnel. Of course I am. We all are, and it's just it's kind of patronising to have endless rock stars telling us that we ought I, to be I, I terribly anybody, grateful. These people, of course, I hate we're anybody grateful. telling me this, you know, because it kind of it implies that without them we wouldn't have thought of it, which no, is ab ridiculous. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, that, and, and that before all this, we would have taken for granted anyway. It's not that we're not contributing, Dave. We pay our taxes. You know? yes. I mean, I, I, I just... <laughs> we do actually contribute all the time to the NHS, you know. Uh, but somehow we've been made to think that it's been free up till now. We've all got to put our hands in our pockets. No, but I just found that a bit exhausting. And the third thing, which I think is really interesting, it has implications way beyond just, um, uh, you know, music broadcasts like this, is there's no audience. And this is affecting yeah. everything. That when you see Elton John playing the piano in his garden, you know he's playing. I'm still standing. It's great, but there's no reaction, and you realise how much you miss the warmth of the sound of great waves of euphoria and applause that greet people being on stage. And when you, it, it just seems incredibly underwhelming to see one after another person in their living room. I think maybe the novelty is wearing off with some of this. Can, can, can I? Can I don't just mean that sounds wonderful. Can I just yeah. interject? Because I'm entirely with you on this. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I now found I'm not watching it methodically, but it keeps popping up on my YouTube. Is I keep seeing clips of Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, yeah. Larry David. And the whole deal of Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, he's, is he says the things that people think but don't say. He actually blurts them out. And yeah. this was a kind of classic case of this, you know. If Elton John were singing and playing the piano in his back garden, under normal circumstances, now admittedly he'll have a bigger back garden than most of us. Yeah. There's going to be one of two responses at the end of it. 
either warm applause or shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. Leave it, Elton. You woke me up. (laughs) (laughs) We're having a perfectly nice sleep in this deck chair over here. And you sadly start playing. I'm still standing, you know. Now, my this, main this reminds me of standing these... my own father when we were watching Live Aid, and my father... <laughs> no, no, it wasn't mom... Live Aid. It was it was Diana's. No, it's Prince Lion. No, it was the Lady Di's funeral. That's right. I have to I remind you up. of your memories. Go on. I know that's right. I rang him up to say to see if he was watching. He said I was watching it, and, and suddenly an awful fat man came along and spoiled it for everyone with his singing. And I knew you visually who was talking about. <laughs> Oh, it's just so funny. But anyway, no, you're absolutely right. Those would be your reactions, but they're not now, are they? With you see the absence of the absence of applause, and the most pressing case of this, I think you know, I do think it's fascinating. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about when football is going to come back, and how football is going to come back. And football is the classic. Well, it's like rock and roll. Live football, top level football. In front, in a crowded, in front of a crowded stadium, is the most enthralling entertainment experience Completely. on the planet. It is. Completely. Yeah. The same players playing the same game in an empty stadium is the least enthralling entertainment prospect yeah. on God's earth. You Which know, makes the value you is the a, how important the audience is, and B shouldn't the audience be more appreciated? You know, I think the audience be, should be, be paid. Fleeced. They'd be, they're the ones who are having to pay one hundred pounds a ticket. Or whatever. They're, they're, they're paying a fo- they're paying to... a fortune. Why, even though they, the same clubs tell us they make all their money out of telly. Well, yeah. therefore, they ought to pay the crowd as if they were extras in a film scene. You know, turn up, give you Completely. ten quid, you can watch the game. And uh, but isn't it the same happy. with it's, it's like the same with comedy? We were talking the other day about that guy Michael Spicer, who's uh, fantastic. I'm sure anybody listening will have, will have seen his his uh, YouTube clips. He's, he does a thing called uh, the Room Next Door. The Room Next Door. Pretends, he pretends to be the kind of political advisor, talking into the earpiece of the political clown who's uh, <laughs> on a live interview and <laughs> telling him saying what to say. all the it's wrong things. It's really, yeah. really funny. He's very good. Particularly very good Boris news. Johnson one was one of the, the great one about the buses, you know. But, uh, you know, that guy, <clears throat> really hard to compete with that, uh, you know, um, uh, as a comedian now, because it's it's the Internet that's that's, that's reacting fastest, isn't it? Oh, far, yeah, there. absolutely. I, I feel sorry for professional comedians at the moment because the Internet is just far quicker to the it gag. Is. The Internet identifies the gag far quicker than, you know, than an average radio or TV program. And can, can deal with it instantly. Yeah, Absolutely. So your anyway, radio four program is out of date, you know. So, but but I mean, we're all in favour of you know people being supportive of frontline workers and health workers, and God knows we're all absolutely in their debt, no doubt about that at all. But there's a limit to how many pop stars we need to have telling us about it, really. That's and we ought, so we ought to mention the Stones. I don't know if you saw the oh, Stones. Oh, God, yeah. I've seen that I did. So I the did Stones see the come Stones. on, who I thought were pretty good. Mick Jagger was terrific. I'm sorry. but He, he was very was good. Really good. He really made an effort. And uh, but what they come on? I said, I but uh, I said, uh, you can't, can't always get you what you want. You know, then they came one more. Old Keith sitting on a sofa, twiddling away on his acoustic guitar. Ronnie Wood playing one of his rather, rather sort of, uh, you know, uneventful solos. Charlie Watts completely disconnected and apparently playing some boxes on the floor and bits of his sofa with his drumstick. But when you listen to it, you know, it's fairly obvious to me that a there was a keyboard part. 
B, there were some proper drums, and uh, and C, uh, I, I think there might have been a there might have been a bass as well. So there was quite a bit of serious overdubbing going on there, wasn't there? Am I right? Well, there, there has to be. Say, I didn't see this mentioned in any reviews that I read, but I mean, maybe they're just being generous that they didn't notice. Yeah, it. I, mean, yeah, I think there's yeah. been a bit of bit of post production fiddling going on. Yeah, yeah. You see, what they ought to be doing is is getting online and giving really indiscreet interviews. You know, that's that that's what we all want to see. You know, people saying things they've never said before, because as you say, they've got time on their hands. They've got, they've got nothing else to do. You're listening to The Word Podcast. It's not supposed to be professional. So we've got a bit of housekeeping to do, as they all say at company conferences. We've got to say thank you uh, to those very kind people who've been to our Patreon page and signed up to contribute towards this massive, multi-fronted, multimedia endeavour. We're very grateful to them, aren't we, Mark? We are hugely great. We're indebted to them, actually, and it's terrific. And we must and, like to thank them by name. And Gavin Hogg challenged us to do the thank yous like this. Hi there. Nice to be with you. Happy you could stick around. Like to introduce Ian Smart on drums. And Josh Pierce, rhythm pole. And David Messer, bass guitar. And Paul Price, the piano. Come in Alan Knight on the saxophone. With John Morris on tenor sax. Hi, Colin Morrison, trumpet. Say hello to Big Deek 58, xylophone. And Peter Ellis, guitar. Scott Hamilton, spoons. And looking very relaxed, Colin Chalmers on vibes. Mm, nice. on sousaphone. <laughs> Introducing Dara O'Halloran clarinet. With David Wright on vocals. Norman Oxlade and his pals tap dancing. <laughs> In the groove with Jamie Commons violin. Gavin Hogg on harmonica. And over there, Keith Howie, ukulele. Hi, Keith. <laughs> but we have to mention that Gary Russell came in as, as, as our oh, 50th yes, Patreon, yes, isn't he? Lord. Yes, representing the flower people, Gary Russell. So anyway, thank you very much. Thank you yes. very much. To, <laughs> thank you very much to all of them. We're hugely grateful. And uh, details of how you can join them are underneath this and uh, the de- show notes with this uh, particular podcast. The Word Podcast, one of the few things you really need in life.
Okay, we call this bit yesterday's papers because I just thought of it. And uh, basically what we do is, Mark and I read old music magazines to ourselves. <laughs> no, and uh, that's, what we're, that's how we're using our time. Yeah, I'm going to see if Mark can guess. I'm looking at an issue of Q. From oh, 1988, right. uh, from oh, May okay. 1988, you were, and it's cut, the cover of uh, the Pogues. Oh, uh, wow. that was the only green cover that we did. It has a green that, there you uh, go. square That's at the, the top That's the question left. I was going to ask you. I was oh, going to ask it? you what colour was the logo. Oh, yeah. Right, second, second question. Second magazine publishing trivia question. How much was Q in 1988? Uh, £2.95. One pound thirty. Oh, okay. God, that's a good deal. Is it? One pound thirty. That's amazing, good isn't Lord. it? Really? That's extraordinary. Then, of course, it was, of course it was... you probably could have bought a Morris Minor for one pound thirty. I can't remember what it was worth. One pound thirty. It was. It was less. It was less than I was thinking. You could thinking. have bought a three-bedroom flat in King's Cross. The um, deal me. the who the hell they call him the inventor of rock and roll, and this apparently has given him the right to ride roughshod over all of them for 30 years, extracting hefty wedges from luckless promoters, slighting his fellow musicians, shortchanging his fans and subjecting fair maidens to his oily and unappetizing advances. Tom I think Hed I wrote Hibbert, that. I'm sure you <laughs> well, did. Well, it can't be Chuck Tom, Berry. Can, it is. is. Chuck Berry? Oh, it's right. Chuck did he do Chuck Berry? That's amazing. Tom Hibbert has three minutes, but only one question. Who the hell does Chuck Berry think he is? Does he only have three minutes? Oh, I think that was a joke about the length of Chuck Berry's songs. I, I, yeah. was, uh, I was struck by this. Um, the question near the end, Tom asks him just how long he's going to keep going because he's 61 now. <laughs> Sixty one. When you remember when the time, they're probably yeah. probably members of One Direction who are sixty one nowadays, aren't they? Um, you know, uh, when that seemed like really old for a rock star, doesn't anymore, does it? it uh, absolutely. Tom Hibbert appears in the Craig Brown book about the Beatles, which both you and I've been reading, and uh, yes. he talks about he talks about the um, who the hell he does with with Cliff Richard, oh, <laughs> where yes. Cliff Richard still rankles about the fact that, that the Beatles were sort of more popular and have more credibility than he does. And he goes on about, well, I've been going, how long? Well, they only went on for 10 years. You know, then they broke <laughs> up. I'm still going. Well, <laughs> fair point. Fair point. No, 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 I thought it was a bit tragic, really. So it's <laughs> also anyway. got the piece, the piece I wrote when I went to New York and I saw Michael Jackson and uh, Bruce Springsteen the same week. Oh, yeah. Tunnel of Love Store and the Bad Tour. And that was when I went back to the hotel. The, oh, my God, what's he called? The French name. I can't remember. Um, and uh, I got in the lift and there was Bubbles and his minder. you Staying at the hotel. Bubbles. No, what Jack, Bubbles had? He's already had a, a, a suite of rooms. Presumably. <coughs> that is unbelievable. Um, uh, Bubbles called, it, called, called in room service, you think? <laughs> Asking for notes. Was he sitting up there, sort of, you know, flooring cans of Heineken and, uh, and uh, <laughs> necking Pringles? He probably was. He probably was. So, uh, yeah, those are, those are mine. That's what I just picked at random from this huge bound volume of uh, of old issues of Q. What have you got? Well, I got a copy of Disc and Music Echo from February the 7th, 1971, which is absolutely riveting. It's kind of, you know, main kind of... Um, constituency is kind of people like the Supremes and Stevie Wonder and Mama Cass. But by page 12, you've got a column called Progressive Sounds and People. 
and it tells you that, that, that Keith Hartley's just formed a new group. Yeah, Donovan's uh, Donovan's uh, working with Franco Zeffirelli. Johnny Winter and his band have been thrown out of the Mayfair Hotel for strange goings-on. And somebody's oh, been to the 100 Club and seen Brewer's Droop and says they have to be seen to be believed. Weirdly, I've seen <laughs> Brewer's Droop. I saw them that so, year right, at the Reading Festival. Did you? Did you? Amazing. Uh, wonderful. Uh, wonderful headlines that are just so brilliant. The ELO tour uh, headline is, is electric light switch on. Which is very much in that kind of Bay City bonkers and uh, Wings Metal Fatigue, uh, Melody Maker tradition. There's news that Aqualung of, uh, by Ethro, Jethro Tull is out and it's going to be a punch in the face for the church. And people will undoubtedly be offended by it because it's anti-religious. This is their manager, Terry Ellis, talking. Which is a brilliant piece of marketing, actually. It's a really good way of drumming up publicity and getting them on the front page. Jeffrey Hammond Hammond has just got joined the group, who, if you remember right, it was called Jeffrey Hammond. But... But uh, Ian Anderson didn't think that was, um, you know, that was aristocratic enough. So I asked him to change his name to Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, which is super. <laughs> but no, the, the, the really the key thing in it is John Peel, of course, writes a column. Do you remember John Peel? He said he did one in sounds later on. Now, he was he really, really on, yeah. funny, John Peel. He was so funny. And um, he talks about being at home with the pig. I used to think that was just, it was just a fantasy for me. It was just so, so, he was so cool, you know. And uh, and uh, he said a foam-flecked runner appeared at our door, by which I mean <laughs> somebody just rang the doorbell. I think it's a foam-flecked runner. Foam it tells them a group called Stack Waddy is on at a, 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 a pub nearby, and you ought to go and see it. Stack he describes Waddy. this as uh, Stack Waddy. A band he describes as being um, being loud, demoralising, vulgar, and crude. He says the wretched Can Stack I... Waddy. Have... Can, Can I interrupt? Can I interrupt with a point of information on Stack Waddy? Yeah, go I on. think I'm correct in saying. That their album was called Bugger Off. It was called Bugger Off. Absolutely correct. I've got a feeling that Peel actually put them out on the Dandelion label. That may be wrong. Actually. Oh, he, he might have done. Bugger off. He might have done. Sorry, carry yeah, yeah. on. Carry on. But he said the he said the wretched Stack Waddy have an LP available with which you can intimidate and depress your friends and ruin <laughs> parties. He says, he says, far from being a setback, this is nothing more than an endorsement of their policies and the ultimate accolade. It's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> accolade. brilliant. It's that rising so, note at the end. The ultimate accolade. You know. <laughs> and then he talks about a group called Fanny. Do you remember the American group called Fanny who just appeared? Of course, oh, yeah. people were all excited yeah. about them. And he said that he thinks they might be playing at the speakeasy. He said, I shall wear my football shorts. He said, and drive them, uh, drive them mad with desire as I lean, pouting, and to all outward appearances, brightness against the bar, a vision of sheer loveliness. I think that's just <laughs> wonderful. But it's just, <laughs> Peel, Peel's sort of self-interest was absolutely sensational, wasn't it? They were nearly all about him fancying and chasing after women and how women should be fancying him. I was amazed as looking at the I think I was telling you when I was at a festival, I was at a festival in uh, Ling, what's it called? The Lincoln Festival, the Great Barney Festival. And uh, Peel was the DJ, and I can remember him on stage saying, uh, he said, uh, I slept alone last night, campus. If any of you young ladies would like to avail yourselves of my lithe and athletic body, please report backstage to my caravan at six o'clock. I can remember thinking, that is unbelievable. <laughs> but hey, hashtag different times. <laughs> <laughs> So that's disc. What is it? Disc and music echo. It disc disappeared. And music didn't echo it? Yeah, it disc got absorbed into something else. All these things they all get absorbed, don't they? The enemy yeah, absorbed accordion times. Uh, you know, that's right. You, you you can still write to the enemy while well, if the enemy still exists and say, "I feel that your accordion coverage has rather slipped in the last in the last forty years." <laughs> you know? 
But because because the beauty of uh, of old music babies is always just looking at the uh, the small ads, you know. They, this has even got this, this issue has even got a small ad for a hotel, the Stonehall House Hotel, twenty minutes from the West End. Presumably they they're offering this as a potential place for kind of bands to stay. First class room and breakfast hotels. Terms from one pound thirty seven and a half pence daily. That they uh, they translate that into into pre decimal into it's twenty seven and six. We there's nothing like old music papers. God, there's we? none of that in disco music echo. All we've got is a is an ad for uh, the modern mail new mini brief, which is kind of like a like Y fronts basically. That's that's pretty much the only small ad. The rest is people trying to join bands, you know. But it tells well, you so much about, about the times, doesn't it? And the other weird thing is an interview with Michael Parkinson. What about that? Michael Parkinson, what he's doing in Disco Music Echo, I don't know. But, uh, uh, and this, the journalist goes on about how this girl says how fantastically good looking he is and uh, and how Michael Parkinson, Parkinson endorses the idea of growing long hair. He said, parents are wrong to admonish their, their, their children for having long hair. So what a hipster he turned out to be. Here's a, here's, here's a trivia question for you. How many of the people on the cover of Band on the Run are still with us? Oh, my Lord. Uh, okay, who was there? Was Kenny Lynch was one of them. I think he's still with Kenny us. Kenny Lynch died, uh, Michael, you know, a few weeks ago. Parkinson's still with us. Michael oh, right. Parkinson's yeah, still Parkinson. with us. Uh, 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 Paul McCartney, obviously. Uh, not Pete Cushing. There's um, Paul McCartney and Linda Christopher McCartney. Lee is uh, no Denny longer with Lane. us. Denny Lane? I don't know if Denny Lane no, is No, I don't think he is. Uh, I no. think John Conte maybe, and uh, yes, yeah. John Conte. So I think Christopher Lee and the other one was, was Clement Freud, wasn't it? Was that no, who was not with us? No, 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 no. no. Yeah. God, how extraordinary! This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So interesting pop facts, and they're interesting because they interest me. They interest us, possibly <laughs> yes. Yeah, they interest yeah. us. And I was thinking about. Pink Floyd, and I was thinking back to, in the 1970s, I can remember a conversation having about this in a, in a, in a calf with Jake Rivera, actually, in 1977, just about how much money Pink Floyd had, you know, that they were regarded, particularly for those in kind of punk rock, pub rock, you know, that kind of emergent class, Pink Floyd were regarded as having more money than God, yes? Because yeah. they'd sold so many copies of Dark Side of the Moon in 1973. They just carried on selling and selling. And it was the first record, I recall, where the scale of its sales success was almost part of its story, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. It's part of its myth. Just this sheer scale. It kept on trundling away. They must have more money than they know what to do with. Of course, that wasn't necessarily true. Because, as I think the notorious B.I.G. pointed out many years later, mo money, mo problems, yes? And Pink Floyd had made a lot of money at the dark side of the moon. And they decided to invest it, yes? To minimise tax demand and so forth, you know, because spread it over a period of time. So the money they started to make in 1973-74 didn't come in until 77-78 because that's the way those things work. And they invested, they decided to invest it with this company called Norton Warburg. 
who were subsequently found to have been in more trouble than they appeared on the outside and were taking money out of the clients' accounts in order to keep their own operation going. And so Pink Floyd went from appearing to have more money than they knew what to do with to suddenly facing an absolute crisis that the money was going to run out and the government were going to come looking for their tax and there wouldn't be anything to pay it with. And they had significant records to to finish and get out uh, against the schedule, didn't they? Well, the, the issue was the wall. That's why they did the wall overseas, because they, the accountants worked out you've got to spend a year out of the country, because, and then, then you, you put off your tax liability for another year. And you've got to go and make a record that, tell you what, guys, <laughs> no, use, no use just doing what you feel like. This has got to be a big hit record, yes? This has got to make so, absolutely stonking piles of cash. Yeah, and, and so they start making the wall. And they get in Bob Ezrin as the producer. Bob Ezrin, somewhat unlikely figure, best known for his success with Alice Cooper. And Alice and, and Bob Ezrin is the person who spots another brick in the wall, which was only a fragment, only a verse and one chorus or something, and says, that's a hit record. And they all said, no, nah, don't be silly. He said, no, that's a hit record. He keeps on working on this. And this is the late 70s. And he says to Dave Gilmore, do you know what? If you want a success, you've got to go to these places called discos and you've got to listen to the, the music that's being played. And so Dave Gilmore goes and does this thing. Doesn't particularly enjoy it, but comes <laughs> back. And, and Bob Ezrin says we're going to do this and it's going to be 100 beats per minute. Because 100 beats per minute is Dancing Queen, it's, it's I Will sells. Survive. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely what sells. And so that's what they did. They developed it and they put on it one element which Bob Ezrin had previously had great success with. What is that element, Mark? It is um, children's voices. Children's voice. Yeah, the choir, because he'd done it with school he'd choir. done it with schools out. He'd done it with schools out. <laughs> Alice Cooper, which finishes with no more homework, no more you know, no more teachers' dirty looks, all that stuff. And so, and so, once they talked about putting kids' chorus on it, he was all in favour of this because he says, he says this works. This is always really commercial, and it was, of course, the Christmas number one record. And, you know, it because it fitted into Christmas, even though the incredibly depressing song about, you know, education and, and the, and the kind of poisoning of young minds and so forth. But it's got, it's got, you know, it's got kids' chorus on it. And what's number one the following year? There's no one quite like Grandma, you know, the St. Winifred School Choir. And in a Which change in the copyright law in 1997, they, they, some of the former members of that choir sued, didn't they, for unpaid royalties because they were never paid. Uh, lost probably. The case. Yeah. Well, yeah. probably yes, because well, you know, classically, where there's a hit, there's a writ, you know. But yeah, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was I went and looked at this that that when it went to, that went to number one, it was number one for five weeks, I think, over the Christmas 1979-80. and they hadn't had a chart record for the whole of the 70s. 
The, the last chart record was, I think, See Emily Play or Arnold Lane, whichever, the, whichever was the second of, of their, their two early singles. So singles were released from Dark Side of the Moon and Animals and all those things. Not hits at all. Didn't trouble the charts until this came along. And suddenly, you know, it's huge. And it completely kick, kick-starts their career all over again. All over again. You know, but they did, they did this, you know, with, with bankruptcy staring them in the face. It's an absolutely amazing It's an extraordinary tale. story. It's extraordinary, you know, isn't it? Yeah. You know, how, how these things just, you know, you've got to deal with the business you know, somehow. There was you such know, a dramatic story. You can't story get away that, from it. Pink Floyd's such a dramatic story. The thing that struck me recently was uh, that... They they were so they were incredibly vicious uh, in in the mid sixties. The, the the general policy was you know and the Beatles are a really good example. Every one of the Beatles albums apart from the White Album had the Beatles on the cover. The policy was try and develop a relationship between the audience and the individual members of the band. And the Pink Floyd very bravely did precisely the opposite, didn't they? Piper Piper at the Gates of Dawn had a picture of the Pink Floyd on it. And after that they said we don't want to apart from Mama Gummer they said we don't want to appear on the cover of any of our albums. You know, the collective for the Pink Floyd was the important thing, not the individual. The best seat at the Pink Floyd concert was at the back, which was just something that was only ever being pioneered before by the Grateful Dead. And it's true, I remember going to see the Pink Floyd in the early 70s, and you wanted to be at the back. You wanted to see the fireworks. You wanted to see the spectacle. You wanted to see the, the aeroplane lumbering down the line. You wanted to see the, you know what I mean, the, the movies and all that. And the actual individual members of the Pink Floyd weren't that important. And I think it's really interesting. And the wall, of course, you know, they had those, those uh, other musicians, Snowy White playing the part of David Gilmore. And the point being, it doesn't really matter who it is. It's not the individual members that are important. And this all backfired when, when Roger Waters left the group in great acrimony. And uh, went off on his own because he thought, and you can understand this to some extent, he thought that because he wrote all the songs, he was the heart and soul of the Pink Floyd. And he was going to take all the, the following with him. And the, I interviewed him once and he told me this really poignant story about playing in Cincinnati in 1987 on his Radio Chaos tour. It was really honest of him to say, he said, I was playing a 6,000-seater venue that was only half full. There were 3,000 people in there. And he said, across the road was the Enormodome. Uh, which was packed, an 80,000-seater venue where the Pink Floyd were playing. And I really felt some sympathy for it because the great irony was, of course, was it was nothing really to do with those songs. It was to do this, the point about the Floyd was the spectacle and it was the sound. And the sound of the Floyd is largely David Gilmour's voice and David Gilmour's guitar. And, um, you know, and Roger Waters just came, you know, had not foreseen... Uh, what kind of a uh, disaster might lie ahead for him, you know? I mean, it, clearly he has some money in the bank, but it didn't work out the way he wanted. But it also goes to goes to prove, you know, the thing that you and I often said, and Pink Floyd surely are a classic case of this, that the most valuable asset of any band is the name. Is the name, completely. But, uh, particularly the, the, the name Pink Floyd, because it's somehow... Even from the early days, to my mind, it kind of evoked a certain sort of music, a certain sort of ethereal, chemical, dreamy, psychedelic. We always thought it was, it was a type of acid. We thought it was like kind of window pane, or you know, we thought it was some type of acid. We thought it was a drug thing, but it wasn't at all, was it? It was a mixture of the two. Yeah, well, it, 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 well, it's it's. Um, 
the thing that's gone down in history is that, is that Sid Barrett was was a fan of uh, the two bluesmen, Pink Anderson and Floyd Council. It's not actually true. The um, the story, as far as I can ascertain, is that he and a mate had a Blind Boy Fuller album in 1964, which was put out kind of on the Phillips sort of jazz series. Yeah. And in the sleeve notes of this record, just introdu- introducing Blind Boy Fuller, is a bit of background about talking about all the, all the singers, you know, the itinerant blues musicians who kind of lost to, you know, there were no recordings or whatever, or they, they just disappeared. And, uh, and he says, uh, I'm reading it here, I've got it in front of me. Curly Weaver and Fred McMullen, Georgia born, but more frequently to be found in Kentucky or Tennessee. Pink Anderson or Floyd Council. These were a few amongst the many blues singers that were to be heard in the rolling hills of the Piedmont or meandering with the streams through the wooded valleys. Of this considerable body of folk talent, anonymous and legendary alike, none was more famous than Blind Boy Filler. And the record was a, was a Blind Boy Filler record. And it's just that the mate saw those two names together, Pink Anderson and Floyd Council, in the same line and thought, Pink Floyd. The Pink Floyd. I think it was the Pink Floyd sound, wasn't it? First of all, Pink Flo- and then, and then they, they 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 just dropped it. And they, these two guys, you know, died in kind of obscurity, probably never knowing you know, that they that, that, that just by an accident of sleeve design and those two names just being next to each other that this uh, you know that they, they they lent their name unconsciously to this. And what a fabulous name. They they started off as the Megadeths, didn't they? And then they were Leonard's Lodgers, because that was the name of their landlord. And then the Spectrum Five. These are very kind of very hip middle middle sixties names, actually. The Screaming Ad Dabs, the Architectural Ad Dabs, Sigma Six, the T set, I think they were called the T set, or one of them was a member of the T set anyway. And then the Pink Floyd Sound. You're right. What a but you can't. But Floyd. once once it's established as Pink Floyd, you can't imagine any of those other names doing at all, can you? You know, it's the no. Pink you can't. Floyd. You can't. It somehow did it always sound quite grand. I think it probably always did. You know, it was one of those names I remember when I was sixteen, seventeen. You felt good saying it. You did, people. <laughs> Have you held the Pink Floyd? And then it very it quickly epic. became the Floyd. You know. The Floyd. It sounded epic, you know, and it was it, it just fitted in with those kind of names, you know. Particularly at the time, there was there was a habit of of, of putting colours before things. Wasn't it? it was like the blue meanies, and you know, yeah, white white bicycle, and you know, yeah, that. just having colours and names. Deep there seemed yeah. something something psychedelic about it. Yeah, you know? but um, you know, it proved to be bigger than all of them, didn't it? You know, and. Uh, they're not together anymore, are they, Mark? <laughs> but they somehow the seem Floyd, as if they are. They, they, yes, they. God, they fell out, didn't they? My goodness, astonishing! And to see them at Live Aid it was rather, rather extraordinary that they did actually manage to get over it all and get back together for that one event. And uh, despite unbelievable animosity, but um, but what? Because they've all pretty much God. all been fired at one time or another, haven't they? Or or been threatened to be fired. 
Well, Rick Wright was fired, wasn't he, in the late 70s, I think. Uh, Rick Wright was fired during the sessions for the wall. And as Rick Wright, you and I have talked about this before, very underrated part of the group. I mean, just, you know, as Peter Jenner famously said, you know, he felt that Roger Waters had a problem with Rick Wright because he was better looking and had a better voice and also contributed that amazing textural sound, those keyboard sounds, which is so important as a part of it. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. A bit of a PS, which I thought we should mention, the great Terry Doran. Terry Doran, there's was, was a picture of him in the Times this morning. He died the other day. He died on the 18th of April, actually. And um, what an interesting character. There's so many extraordinary characters in the kind of um, extended family of the Beatles. And he's one of them. He was the guy who was always known as the man from the motor trade, actually. Um, no, he was right. the guy who supplied the wheels, as they put it, for the for the for the Beatles. And you forget that the Beatles became obs- well, they were obsessed with cars, weren't they? they? All of them just had this massive appetite for. Lennon had a Ferrari and a Lamborghini and a stretch Mercedes and a Rolls Royce Phantom Five, and McCartney had an Aston Martin with a tape recorder installed in it, especially. In so he was George the guy Harrison. who always supplied them, was it? Yeah, so he, he supplied. Must have had a he supplied nice little living out of just. I'm the man who gets the cars from the Beatles. I know. And he just got on really well with them. And they loved him. He was really funny. Liverpudley and a fantastic, he was a fantastically funny guy. Really got on with John Lennon. When John Lennon married uh, and got together with Yoko Ono, he kind of, that relationship didn't kind of sustain. And uh, I guess probably Yoko Ono might not have (laughs) taken to him. (laughs) Another kind of scouse, lippy scouse geezer. And he then became the uh, estate manager at Friar Park. And he ran, you know, he ran George Harrison's house with his 120-room Gothic mansion uh, in Henley. And he also wrote one word. This is pretty. He wrote one word in a Beatles song. And uh, John was writing Day in the Life. And he said, uh, I got to the point where what did the holes do in the Albert Hall? He got the idea of holes. And he got the idea of Albert Hall. And Terry Don said, fill. They fill the Albert Hall. And so, (laughs) you know... Great credit to him. He actually wrote one word in a lyric by the Beatles, which is good work, isn't it? It's more than but I can remember done. George Martin. I remember interviewing George Martin. He was talking about the, how fascinating it was that the Beatles just loved this kind of these kind of material things, you know, particularly George Harrison, because of course George Harrison there he was with his profound Indian religious <laughs> beliefs. And uh, George Martin had an operation once on, on a, an ear operation, was recuperating at home. And George Harrison turned up to give him a little tiny Indian deity, a little kind of little, tiny statue of a of a, a, a kind of Shiva or something to put by his bedside to emanate good vibes to make you feel a little bit better, you know. And um, he said, George Martin, they looked out the window and there parked in the drive outside was a kind of crimson Lamborghini or whatever it was, you know. And he thought this was such a brilliant combination of two kind of people wrapped up in one man, the same guy who kind of has this kind of Eastern religious belief and talks about spirituality, still has a kind of, you know, £150,000 car. Wonderful. They're That's all the like that, aren't they? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. 